So we're going to continue in the book of Daniel. Um, last week, Daniel 5, we ended with Belshazzar throwing a party. And uh, he took out all of the nice silverware from the Israelite temple. And God wrote on the wall some inscriptions basically saying, You're, you, you've, you've been weighed and you've been found lacking. And that very night he was killed. And now we pick up that, that, and Daniel's kind of broken up into two kind of, two different parts. The first, first half of Daniel, right, it's 12 chapters, so the first half um, is going to end today with chapter 6. And the first half's kind of seen as historical stories, right? And then 7 through 12 are more prophecies, more dreams, more of what things are to come. And so we end the first half of Daniel today with kind of the climax of the first half where Daniel, I'm sure everyone has heard this story. If you've spent any time in church, this is the go-to story of Daniel, right? Daniel in the lion's den. Um, and this kind of wraps up and ties in chapters one and three um, where we see kind of um, Daniel's dealing with the kings um, of, the, of the kingdoms. And so, let's pick it up in, in verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Now, as was typical in this day, um, what kings would do is, is basically they would deify themselves, right? And so King Darius right now, he's setting up, he's kind of setting up his government, right? He's, he's, he's appointing these 120 satraps, like, hey, you guys have these different parts of the country. You're going to rule over that. Make sure, hey, make sure no one's cheating me. Make sure you collect the taxes. And over these satraps, there's going to be three kind of governors, right, to keep those satraps accountable. Be like, hey, these guys are collecting the taxes. Make sure they're not cheating me. And so he's, he's just kind of setting up his government right now. And so of these three high officials, Daniel has been proven to be with excellent spirit. There's no corruption in him. He's fair. He's integrous. And so the king's like, dude, you're actually going to be over all of them. Okay? So you're, like, you're going to kind of be like the prime minister, of this, of this province, of this area, okay? So everything's gonna run through you, okay? I have faith in you, you have integrity. Maybe the king has heard stories of Daniel because what's, what's different about Daniel 6 and what's different about um, Daniel and King Darius is the relationship there hasn't been born out of Daniel, Daniel giving the king something or providing the king something or interpreting something for the king, right? Where with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar Daniel was called in because the king had a need, 
right? He's like, kings are like, what the heck is happening? You know, there's a weird hand writing on the wall. You know, I had this weird dream. What the heck is happening? And so Daniel was kind of brought up to the king like, hey, this dude has the gift of interpreting dreams. This dude has the gift of interpretation. Maybe he can help you out. Whereas with King Darius, this relationship seems to be born out of just Daniel's character, who Daniel is. Maybe he's heard stories of what Daniel has done. And so he's like, hey, yeah, dude, I, I've heard stories about you, bro. Like, is it, are those really true? Did you really do those? Um, if so, like, maybe come be one of my high officials, you know? But this relationship is different with King Darius. Daniel hasn't provided, as, as far as we know, Daniel hasn't provided or done anything for the king other than been a great leader. And so there's, there's something a little different here. Darius seems to have a personal relationship with Daniel. And as we, as we go through this story, we'll see Darius almost has a deep caring or a deep love for Daniel. Uh, and it's not because Daniel's done anything for him. But there's jealousy. There's jealousy among the ranks. These satraps and high officials, they're like, uh-uh. This dude's a Jew. He's not even one of us. Like, he's a foreigner, and you're going to place him over all of us? Like, Jews, foreigners are not supposed to be in a position of power. They're not supposed to be in a position of influence where they can come in and dictate the laws. They can come in and and influence the culture. What if, he, what if he makes us like Israel? What if he makes us adopt his God? What if, they, what if he makes us do all these things? And so they're getting jealous. They're like, no, 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 no. No foreigner is going to be above us. So they lay this trap. They're like, man, we, we need to get this guy out of, we need to get this guy out of the position. You know, not just a mere demotion. You know, like, hey, Maybe, maybe the king can just make him a regular satrap. No, nah, they're going to set out to kill this guy. And so they set this plan in place. They're like, man, well, we haven't got there in the story yet. But there's just jealousy. And let's be honest, jealousy for us takes us to a place where we want the worst for others. Right? When we look at other people and we're like, man, I wish I had that. I wish I had those things, right? Or I wish I was as good as this person in whatever, in speaking, in being a parent, in being a son or daughter, in being a friend. Like, man, I wish I was, then you want the worst for that other people. Like, man, I wish they'd get kicked down a notch, right? I wish, we don't outrightly say this, but it's like, man, if something bad happened, yeah, I wouldn't be too, I wouldn't be too upset about that. But when we trust God with who we are, we actually want the good of others. We actually are for them. And when things go right and when things go well for them, we can rejoice with them instead of going inward and being angry and bitter and envious. So just like these satraps and these high officials, right, as jealousy starts to creep in and they're like, man, we... We do not want this Daniel to prosper. We will not rejoice in his being promoted over us. We actually want him dead. So they set out to make this plan. 
Verse six, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever, which was a normal kingly greeting. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition or whoever prays to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So these satraps, these governors, all of these officials, all of them go to the king, except for Daniel. And they say, O king, we have this great plan. You are a great king. May you be worshipped. May, may you make a law that nobody else can, that nobody can pray to any, any other God except for you or any other man. And if they do, they get thrown into the lion's den. So if they don't worship you and only you, O king, they will die. We will execute them, basically. Now this was not this was not abnormal in that, in that period, in that time, in that place for kings to deify themselves, right? Because if the people saw the king, if the, if the people saw the ruler as a deity or, or a god or a man to be worshipped, then it was a lot easier for them to make, get the people to do what they wanted to do. It was, it was easier for them to govern. It was easier for them to rule. It was easier for them to make laws because I am a deity, I'm worthy to be worshipped. Who are you to question me? And so this wasn't abnormal. This wasn't like a, hey, King Darius, total shot in the dark out of left field. Why don't you make yourself a god? And anybody that doesn't worship you will feed them to the lions. To where King Darius would have been like, what? what? Where did you guys come up with that? No, it was normal. It was normal. So King Darius is like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, let's do it. But they lie and say all, and Daniel, obviously, the king should have known Daniel's not going to be a part of this one. But the king signs it. But it's one of those things where, um, let's, read, let's read verse 10. Let's go to verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So the first thing Daniel, as soon as he hears, hey, the king just established a new law. No one's allowed to worship any God, right? Any of their any of their polytheistic gods, you're not allowed to worship any of them or pray to any of them except for King Darius. The first thing Daniel does is, cool, goes to his house, goes to his upper room, windows are open, and he starts praying. Obviously, it probably was out loud because, the, you know, the king, all of the other officials, they're, they're trapping him, so they, they know Daniel is praying towards his God. Now, for me, I read this and I'm like, Daniel, bro, just shut your windows. 
I'm like, that's an easy fix. Just shut your windows. Go to your prayer closet. Go to your war room. Whatever you want to call it. Like, go inside. You can still pray to God three times a day, as you've always done, as you've made it a practice and a rhythm of your life. Yeah, place doesn't matter. Just shut the windows. Shut the windows. Not lion food. Makes pretty much sense to me. But I want you guys to hear. So this points to, there's a reason that Daniel opened his windows and prayed towards Jerusalem. It was very intentional. And there was a reason he didn't shut his windows. And this points back to 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon is dedicating the temple. When he's praying the prayer of dedication over the temple of God in Jerusalem, he prays this prayer. And I'm actually going to read it. And I want you guys to hear, I want you guys to hear what Solomon prays towards the end of this prayer. And I want you guys to put it in context of where Daniel and the Israelites are at, at this very moment. So 1 Kings chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 44. Actually, 46. We're going to start in 46. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near, yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly, If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause. And forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you. And grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among the peoples of the earth to be your heritage as you declared through Moses your servant when you brought your fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. So Daniel intentionally, windows open, praying towards Jerusalem, probably a prayer that mimics Solomon. God, we have sinned. We have acted perversely. We have forgotten you. We have worshiped idols. We have worshiped other things other than you. And you have allowed our enemies to come in and take us captive and take us to a different land. So God, I am praying towards your house for your name because we are your heritage. God, hear our plea. Daniel's probably praying, God, may your people repent and may you hear their plea. So there's a very intentional reason why Daniel is like, nah, I want my God to hear my prayer. And I remember Solomon's words. In fact, they're true right now. 
we have sinned and acted perversely and our enemies have taken to a, us to a far off land. So God, hear my plea. Don't forget your people. And so windows wide open, praying to God. God, forgive us, save us, rescue us, deliver us. And on a side note, in the New Testament, prayers offered to God through Jesus. Jesus himself has somehow replaced the temple for us, where we no longer have to face east towards Jerusalem in hopes that God might hear our prayer in that place. Now we have the spirit of the very living God within us, and he is able to hear our prayers no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. Jesus himself has taken the place of that temple, where spirit no longer resides in a place, but resides in his people. Verse 11, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel. Man, we caught him. Got him. We got him. (laughs) Then they came near and said before the king, concerning the injunction, O king, Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the laws of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction but makes his petition three times a day. Then the, king heard, then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. And then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Just a reminder, king, you can plan all you want. You can try all you want to try and save this Daniel. But you know as well as we do, once you sign a law, once you sign an injunction, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, you can't change it. Then the king king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. A stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. What picture do we get here? What does this remind us of? The tomb of Christ. As a stone was put over the mouth of den, fully expecting for Daniel to be dead, to be killed. King puts his signet ring in there, as, as also did some of the other lords, so that they knew if any of the, if the stone was moved at all, they would know. It reminds us of the tomb of Jesus. 
who went in dead and came out alive. But here we see King Darius. He's upset. But unlike Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, or unlike Nebuchadnezzar, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they defy the king, Nebuchadnezzar gets angry. He is livid and puts to death Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? He's so angry that he's like, he fires that puppy up seven times hotter than it's supposed to be and actually kills the people that were supposed to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. He was so angry. But here we see Darius angry, not angry, but upset because he realized the law he just signed, his actions, what it would mean for Daniel. Here we see here we see how, Darius, how Daniel is, is probably someone Darius loves. Probably someone Darius truly cares about, right? For it's the people who we truly care about, who we deeply love, when we realize what our actions have done or what it might mean to those we love, that we get upset, that it hurts. Like, man, what have we just done? Right? How many times have we made decisions, probably maybe normal everyday decisions, and probably maybe not out of a heart, out of, of a self-centered or selfish heart, but how many times have we made decisions that we think are normal and we don't realize until afterward where we see the consequences and devastation of those choices that we realize, man, I was being self-centered. I was being selfish. I made that decision so that people would glorify and worship me for being a great dad, for being a great mom, for being a great student, for being a great coworker or employee. Man, I didn't realize it at the time, but man, I wanted the glory for that one. And it's not until we see the hurt that it might cause somebody else that we're like, man, I wish I could redo that. And so Darius tries. He's like, he spends the night fasting and pleading, maybe even praying. To this God that he knows, Daniel, this God that you continually serve, may he deliver you. I can't do anything now. I no longer have the power to save you. Only your God whom you serve can save you now. So Daniel, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay up. I'm gonna fast. And that God that you pray to three times a day, man, maybe I'll send up a prayer to him that you might be delivered because I deeply care for you. So then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. He runs to the den. First thing in the morning, he runs there. Again, we have a picture of a stone being laid over the den. Then we have a picture of King Darius going to the den first thing in the morning. Again, echoes and glimpses of another rescuing story that's to come. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, the king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, 
servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, their wives, their whole family. And before they even reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. That's rough. He just wiped out his entire government. Guys, growing up in church, I've, I've probably heard this Daniel in the lion's den story. I mean, I was raised in church probably no less than 50 times. Probably a lot more than that, but I don't want to seem too outrageous, so I'll just say at least 50 times I've heard this story, right? And probably out of 49 out of 50, actually probably 50 out of 50, this is the main focus of this story, right? We end at Daniel's faith. We end at Daniel's trust in God. And I remember as a kid praying, God, help me to have that much faith. That's awesome. I wish I had that much faith. And understanding and realizing as, as a little kid and even as a teenager and even in my early 20s, always recognizing though, if, if that faith, if push came to shove and my faith meant the death of me, or my family, there's always this like, yeah, I love you, Lord, I love you. But man, that, that, it's, it's not as easy a choice as we read in here for me. It was never for me. And so when we make Daniel the hero of this story, when we make Daniel and his trust in God and his faith in God the hero of this particular story, then we pray, God, let me, I want that faith. Instill that faith in me, right? But we can t easily turn this faith into a human effort to try and muster up enough faith so that no harm will come to us, so that God will find us worthy enough to be saved from whatever we're going through. And then life happens, right? then we lose a job. Someone we love is diagnosed with something. Maybe we're diagnosed with something. Someone suddenly passes away that we truly love. And if we make Daniel's faith the main point of this story, all of a sudden these, these feelings of guilt start to creep in. Man, maybe I didn't have enough faith. 
maybe God didn't find, maybe I've sinned some way and God's not finding me worthy enough to save me or to save my family from this. But Daniel, Daniel's faith is not the main point of this story. Daniel is not the hero of this story. Let's keep reading to figure out who the hero of the story is. I'm pretty sure you guys can figure it out. Sunday school answer, Jesus. Well, actually, Jesus isn't here yet, but, you know. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. God is the hero of this story. He is the one who rescues. He is the one who delivers. He is the one who rescued and delivered Daniel so that the Israelites would remember who the true and living God is. In the midst of of an enemy who has captured you and taken you to a different land, I am the living God who rescues and delivers. I am the only one that can rescue and deliver you from this kingdom, from this oppression, from these different things. Remember me. The first six chapters of Daniel, that climax with Daniel six, are meant to be reminders to the people of God that no matter what empire, kingdom, nation, or government you live under, there's only one true and living God who rules every kingdom on earth. And one day, God is gonna send a rescuer who will also have a stone rolled over his grave. Who will, Mary and Martha will run to at the first daybreak to find the tomb empty. God breaks into history in the person of Jesus Christ and rescues and delivers his people from, not from a kingdom, not from an oppressive nation or oppressive ruler, but he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue and deliver his people from sin and death. The root and the heart of those evil kingdoms. I'm not just gonna wipe out a kingdom for you, Israel. I'm not just gonna take you out of this. I'm gonna send someone, a rescuer, a deliverer, who can wipe out and conquer sin and death so that all generations, all peoples after you will know who the one and true and living God is. And one day he will return to fully consummate his kingdom and restore his creation and finally deliver his people. Now church, may we hear the story of Daniel, actually all of these first six stories of Daniel, and not just come to a place where like, yeah, they, they shouldn't worship idols. That's bad. 
But understand that the first six chapters of Daniel, and especially chapter Daniel, Daniel chapter six, in chapter three, in worshiping idols, right? In chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar builds a huge statue of himself, right? No one nowadays is building a 60-foot tall statue of themselves and saying, worship this or else. But guys, we, our culture has idols that may not be as apparent as a 60-foot statue, but almost more dangerously creep into our hearts, in our ways of thinking, in our worldview, in our churches, in our theology, in our doctrine. And they twist it enough so that God's no longer the hero of this story. We become the hero of this story. Or our faith becomes the hero of our story. So may we take a step back and in the culture and the nation we live in, recognize and pray that God opens the eyes of the idols of our culture, right? We can love living in the United States. We can love living here and want it to flourish and yet not worship at the idol of nationalism. Because when we worship at the altar of America first, it necessarily means that everybody else comes last. May we love and rejoice of the diversity of our skin, how God created each one of us, and not worship at the idol of racism where we think our skin color is best or more important or more deserving of certain things. May we glorify God for who he has created us to be in all of our differences, in all of our strengths, in all of our weaknesses, and yet not worship at the idol of individualism where we think we're the center of this world and everybody else needs to worship us. May we worship and glorify God in his creation of the different sexes, male and female, and yet not worship at the idol of sexism where we think one gender is more important than the other, has more power, has more influence, or should have more power and influence. We can love the creational mandate to work and the reward for hard work and not worship at the idol of capitalism. The exaltation and worship of capitalism, making the most money we can in order to buy all that we can, often means taking advantage of and manipulating or cheating others to, for our own gain. We can love the things that God blesses us with. That, brings in, that he brings into our lives and not worship at the idol of consumerism where nothing is ever enough and we always want more and we always want better. May we be content with what we have. Guys, we have idols. They're not 60-foot statues, but they're isms. 
And if we're not careful, these isms will slowly start to creep in and God no longer becomes the hero of our story. May we recognize these. May we pray and repent. May God hear our plea as a people as we repent for worshiping in the idol of these isms. I'm guilty of those. As I was, as I was doing this, this was one of those where I was like, ooh, this is not comfortable. I could see myself, my life, in all of these different things, in all of these different idols. Again, some of these things are our sexes, our skin color, right? Things that God blesses us with, the nation he has put us in, all good things. Idols are always good things that we make absolute, that we center our lives around. So we can love this nation and want it to flourish. But when we make it the center of our lives or we make it absolute, the one thing, the one hill we're gonna die on, it becomes an idol. So as you go this week, I pray that the Lord would open our eyes to the different altars we worship in. And we remember the one true and living God who's the only one that is able to rescue and deliver us from these idols. May he be the hero of our story, church. May he be the hero of our story. May he be the hero of this culture. May he be the hero of this city. May he be the hero of our homes. Let's pray.